Well, we are blessed. We are blessed to be able to join together. I am really excited about the Adopt-A-Street piece that's happening. I'm really excited about the unity that this church is showing in, in participating. And the response that we're getting is so positive. And so I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being involved in it because it is important. What we're doing is important. It has an impact. And, and one of the amazing things about it is it opens up our hearts and our minds to what God is doing. And so I just want to just really, again, affirm that. Today we're going to continue on through, um, uh, we're going to continue on through the whole service today and, and go through Galatians. And uh, I just got distracted by Slack, and that's a good thing because Slack is where you're able to engage with, with this service right now. Um, and if you do not have Slack, then you can go to promisechurch.community, today's message. Uh, if you have a tablet in front of you, you can do that as well. And you see the text box at the bottom. You can text me questions or thoughts or, or uh, whatever that you want inside, of, uh, inside of, of the service today. And I will engage with them right away. So we are so glad that you are here. We're going to continue to make progress in the book of, of Galatians. And I hope that our understanding of what it is to be Christian in our context, expands as we continue to, uh, to take part in this. Today's text is Galatians 3, 25 to 4, 7. Uh, we're stretching over the, the boundaries of a chapter, but it's because there's one cohesive thought that's going on here. And so we're just going to continue on into the next chapter. And, uh, and so let me read this text to you. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you no longer are a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Lord Jesus, be with the hearing of your word, and God, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive, be ready to be conformed into your image. And, and this isn't about, you know, one person's idea. This is about your idea, your sacrifice. And God, I pray that it would impact our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what does it mean to be a child of God? I mean, it's a little arbitrary when, when we get this language, oh, we all have a relationship with God, or there's this relationship that we have. And, you know, I remember thinking about relationships and relationship with God and thinking, hey, this is strange. You know, when I have a relationship with somebody, I spend time with them, I see them, I like usually, you know, shake hands or whatever. I've never shook God's hand. 
Um, I can't shake people's hands now, so it's kind of like that. Um, but we have this relationship piece that we have with God, yet it's somehow a little bit different. And I believe that's why Jesus incarnated, so that we can actually have a relationship with God through Jesus. But what does it mean to be a child of God now? Paul describes it like this. You were once a slave. You're enslaved to the things that to the way things are done in the world. Last week's message was talking about transgressions being simply the way things are done in the world. People do what's right in their own eyes. You're enslaved to that. That's what you have. It's the whole natural order of things. So our social contract, just to review a little bit more, is you take care of you and yours. You do your best to succeed and get ahead. And that action should improve society in some way. That's the, that's the way that life is set up in our context. You know, it's the way of the world that we're all enslaved to. It's the way things work. And so when it's the way things work, you know, we have what is the rule of mob or democracy. That's what we have. And so it's, it's not a bad thing. The, the social contract is exactly how our entire secular world mitigates against the results of self-promotion, death, and scarcity. We've found ways to reduce the amount of power that an individual has by a democratic system. We've found ways to allow people to elevate themselves out of poverty through stuff like capitalism. We're doing all these things, and it's the best we've got to this point, but it's still the system in which we're all enslaved to. It's the system in which you live, breathe, eat, move, socialize. That's the system you exist in here in Ontario. And so it's the best we've got. Once we were a slave, but now Paul is saying, trust in Jesus changes everything. And I think sometimes we underestimate how much genuine trust in Jesus has the power to change your normal everyday experience. I think we underestimate that. It says here in, in the scripture, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Your faith in Jesus is what changes everything. You are now made a son of God. You are included into the promises of God. And so that's a big, important piece. You're included into the eternal kingdom of God. And he's shown his love for us in Jesus. And so now you are a part of God's family. God is now your father. You've been adopted in. See, it's Jesus that gives us the title of child of God. As we put faith in Jesus, we get this title of child of God. And that's a big deal because what it does is it places us in a different social contract. It places us and our entire life in a different social contract. Jesus offers a brand new way of life. Again, scripture says that we just read, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ by water and by the Spirit, you have a new king. 
It's a new king that you have. You have a new ruler, a new system in which you live in. Your king is no longer yourself. You, you gave up that position of rulership. Your king is no longer the way that the systems of our current world social contract work. That isn't what you are now having to live by. There is a different rule that you have to live by. And so you're born into, uh, sorry, you are invited into Jesus, whom you've taken on. You're invited into Jesus and, and his way of looking at the world. You're invited into a new way. And this is where it really matters. Because in the world's way, we have to worry about scarcity. We are, as, as shown through what's happening in the world over the past year, we are bound to the worry and concern of imminent death. We are you know, concerned about scarcity. Apparently running shoes are the new thing that we actually are going to start running out of because our supply chain, something to do with Suez Canal issue. And so we have all of these concerns. We also have the concern of exclusion. And we have this concern of other people who are self-promoting becoming dominant or having power over us in a way that, that we don't really want or trust or or whatever, and, and those are the concerns that exist in this context, in this social construct. But when you put faith in Jesus, your social construct changes. Your social construct, what you are now bowing to, is different. You are invited into God's way, which is eternal. Which is eternal, and that really matters. If you've been baptized into Christ, and it's, it's life defined by the kingdom of God now. It's life defined by a new way. The threat, or scarce, the threat of scarcity or death, it has no power over you anymore. Your ruler is no longer your nation's government. There's neither Jew, nor Greek, nor Canadian, nor Austrian, arbitrary. Your greatest driver is no longer your social, your social economic position. To improve your social economic position, that's no longer your greatest driver when Christ is accepted through faith. It says there is neither slave nor free, lower class, middle class, upper class, those things hold no value any longer when Christ becomes the one that you serve. Your, identi your identity and your focus is no longer based on your gender. Scripture says there is neither male nor female. These things aren't what define you anymore. In as much as they matter in our social construct here, in the eternal construct, they are not your definers. Your definers are you are a child of God when you place faith in Jesus. I don't care where your starting point was. I don't care where you are in any of those things. I care that you place faith and trust in Jesus and that defines your social construct.
See, this change then affects the way we approach life and what we demand from life. It says, for you are all one in Christ. Okay, here's why all this matters. Because when we are able to put our faith in Jesus, we become united as one people. One people who are saying, this is who I am. This is who we are. We are children of God. And because we are loved by God, then God's love backfills every sacrifice, every output of love that we give into this world. Everything that we do to serve and love somebody else, God's love comes and fills us up. So that we never run empty. Remember at the beginning of service, I said that there's, in a Sunday service, there is rest and there is mission. As we participate in the mission of God, God's love, and when we experience God's love, fills us up so that we don't run on empty. God comes and fills us by his spirit, giving us more love for the streets that you are going to walk this week. He's the one who comes and says, I have more love than you could muster. I have more love than you could give. I have more resources than you could dream of. And you get to be participating in that. It's because Jesus rose from the dead that even our, the greatest enemy to humanity, which is death, no longer has a sting. Jesus proves his eternal nature and therefore offers it to us. We could expect resurrection. Death doesn't even have a sting. And so Jesus is Lord. He's faithful when I'm not faithful. Thank God for that. This isn't a message about pressure. This is a message about thanking God. This is a message about worshiping God. And I do want to, I do want to address, address Ethan's comment here. He says, we are all one. We're not homogenous. We are still unique. Absolutely. We are unique, but we are united under one identity, which is child of God. I am a child of my father and my mother, and I am not the same as my sister and my brother. But we share something in common. So absolutely, you are right, Ethan. We do share that identity, that core identity marker. And so Jesus, Lord, he's faithful when I'm not faithful, and I'm so thankful for this. It means God removes my pride, which is expressed in unhealthy comparisons and self-promotion. See, part of what changes, because now I am identified as a child of God, I am now equal with my peers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I no longer need to compare myself with somebody else. I no longer need to compare myself and say, oh, well, am I measuring up the same? No, because I put faith in Jesus, I am now brought um, to, to be equal. And it's very practical. And the implications are very spiritual. So if Jesus leads us into resurrection, we can live with a care for others in the way we couldn't before. Because Jesus replaced the social rule that we were fully immersed in, and he becomes king, and we become heirs with God. So if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's scripture again. We just read it. 
So here's the question for you. If we have this great identity that goes all the way through this life and extends into eternity, then how would you live if you did not fear death? How would you live if you didn't fear death? Would you take on more risks? Would you give more freely to others in need? Would you worry less about your occupation and and climbing the corporate ladder? What would you invest in if you did not fear death? What risks would you take if you didn't fear it? And I think that that's where the crux of it really is for us. Where we want to, we, we are so used to being part of the social contracts that, that we're in. What, do we let them dominate us? Sam Routley just asked a question. He said, does it mean that the other various social contracts that we're in, whether social, political, or economic, ought to be discarded completely? Or are they meant to be incorporated and made some sense still relevant under the broader umbrella of Christ? And it's a great question, Sam, because here's where we are. As a church, we actually tend to give a lot of of verbal credence to the fact that we think that we're children of God, Oh, I'm a child of God. Yet we live fully enslaved to our social contract. And we don't do anything that incorporates or elevates the kingdom of God above our social contract. We actually submit fully to the social contract that we're in. And my suggestion would be, if you actually know the truth of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the kingdom of God, if you know that that is what is happening, then then yes, absolutely, the social contract you are in becomes secondary. Jesus and his way becomes primary. Okay, I want you to consider historic Christian reactions to plagues. This is really timely. Christians visit sick and dying people in history. It's just a fact. Christians have gone to comfort and be with. We take Luther, you know, the great hero of the Reformation. He suggested that he even went so far as to suggest that that sickness was God's way of correcting us and changing us, and it was something that we're experiencing. And He saw that that eternal life was such a guarantee that any suffering that we experience here is but momentary. And he was like, so I don't even need to worry about it. He's like, if I get sick, I get sick. God will do his work in me. It doesn't matter. Wow. Well, that's different than what we view now, isn't it? Because he saw that his eternal life was never at risk. Never at risk. He could put his life and well-being at risk for the sake of others. Okay, so Jesus King says, I will set you free from the social contract of caring for yourself by showing you 
that I can care for you eternally more than anyone else. Jesus cares for you eternally more than anyone else can or does. So you could live in the now with the rules of the world around you, looking at scarcity and self-preservation, or you can live in the eternal with Jesus' way of looking at God's provision and eternal life. There's something happening here that's different. See, more recently, Christianity has moved to, to care more about ourselves first because death is our greatest fear, just like the rest of the world. That's what we've done. We do it economically. We do it in terms of, oh, I don't ever want to get sick. We do it in terms of where is my, where is my, social, um, my social currency who validates me. We do it in so many ways where we look to the ways of the world and to that social contract and say, and say, hey, this is, this is something that, that we live with because we actually share the same fear that they have. See, we've disconnected our trust in Jesus to resurrect us from the very relief that it was created to bring. We've cushioned ourselves from suffering to such a degree that we lose sight of the eternal. Wow. This is not the way the church was in the past. This is not the way that the church has been. The church isn't about, you know, oh, well, it's about comfort and it's about safety. The church is about there's an eternal kingdom of God that is coming down to influence the world today. Wendy says, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? And she's quoting English evangelist Leonard Ravenhill. That's the question. That's the question. You know, where does it leave us? We can love in a risky way because all suffering we face today is temporal. I have, I have a story of suffering, and I didn't know if I was going to share it. I know a mom. and She was born with a child who had a severe brain abnormality. Child was not expected to live beyond six months. Child is two and a half years old now. Very, very challenging. She wrote the other day, public on Facebook, she wrote, but God, have you forgotten us? A heavy question, but one that my heart often asks. A question I ask through frustration, tears, and anger, and joyful days as I anticipate the hard moments are around the corner. But God, I'm meditating on your word, and I'm trying to seek you first, and it doesn't feel like anything's changing. Why does it have to be so hard? Why does she have to suffer? Why do I feel like you're so far away? That's when he reminds me that he has not forgotten us. So important. No, not one bit. He is close, closer than anyone or anything that I think could be my source of comfort. It's not a formula. It's not about how much I read my Bible or how much I pray. It's not about what I'm doing or how much I show that I love him. His love for me always outweighs my love for him. 
He reminds me in his word to rejoice in my suffering, a phrase that bugs me at times. How do we rejoice when days are so hard? We rejoice because we're reminded that the slightest, that slight momentary affliction cannot even compare to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. We rejoice because he has saved us, and that in and of itself is reason enough to be thankful. We rejoice because this isn't our home. This place that we cling is so we cling to so closely when we think that it will bring us true happiness and joy will only leave us feeling broken because it was never intended to be our refuge. He is our refuge. She continues on. So we continue, so we can rejoice in our suffering, in our hard days, in the moments that don't make sense because he sees every single moment and how they fit into the bigger picture. So although I still struggle almost daily with wondering if he's near or cynically asking him why he hates us in response to a hard day. Without these difficult times, I would be placing my hope, joy, and peace in this world. But to set our minds on the flesh is death. To set our minds on the spirit is life and peace. Wherever you are today, I promise he hasn't forgotten you. He's so very near. Rest in that. See, what we have, what we have is an ability to face trials and suffering because God is involved. I consider Paul, and I'm not going to read it, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, he talks about all of his countless sufferings and the risks that he takes. He's like, oh, I've been tortured and I've, and I've struggled and I've, and I've been and I've been beaten. And so, so he says, he's like, all these things have happened to me. But he takes the risk to a whole other level. Our trust in Jesus should be open to greater risks than we're used to. Someone asked me today here on, on Slack, you know, what happens if reckless love for God endangers others? Okay, here's the deal. Reckless love for God should never put others in danger. It might put you in danger. But it's not about other people getting put in danger. It might be something where you take your life and you say, I may become persecuted for spreading the gospel. But it's not for me to take somebody else's life and say, you too. It's up to that person to enter into the risk. It's up to that person to say, yes, I'm going to live outside of the social construct that this world provides. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And so it's not about, I know that everybody's like, oh, well, are you talking about COVID? I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church, and we need to actually realize that we need to take risks to, to actually show the love of God. I'm not talking about endangering people's lives. It just comes from Scripture. Our trust in Jesus should open us up to greater risks than we're used to. Maybe it's the social risk of inviting somebody to know Jesus. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the economic risk of investing in somebody who's doing something that's worthwhile. Maybe 
Maybe it's the risk of breaking that silence between you and your neighbor. See, Jesus' faithfulness adopts you as a child of God as you place faith in him. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring according to the promise. See, you remember Abraham? He moved. He left his family. He took a risk. He changed his life. All because of a promise. A hope. That God was going to do something. A trust. That changed his trajectory. So today we find ourselves no longer a under a guardian, but invited into a family. You're no longer under a guardian. Jesus made a distinct difference in the way we understand God and his kingdom. So here's a distinct statement of hope in a divided world. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if you're a son, you're an heir through God. The universality of the invitation is to all humanity. It's to all humanity, guys. The invitation is to everybody, equal access to God. It changed the expectation of the Jewish people, and it challenges us today, and I see on Slack, it is challenging our thinking today. Oh, so what about this risk? How do we mitigate for that? Yeah, it challenges all of it. The invitation says all humans can be adopted and baptized into Christ. All of us are invited to willingly accept the new way of life, one that's free of the slavery of this world and the way things are done here. We're invited to fully put our trust in Jesus the King. This is the call for global unity under one king, a king that rules differently. We're all called to be sons of God. We are called back to God in an intimate knowing way. Dad, Father, God, he is here with us. Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Jason just says, if we can't trust God enough to take risks, then who or what are we worshiping? You know, today on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the rise of a king that does it differently that sets you free from whatever things that you are being held captive by, whatever social construct you are being held captive by. He comes to set you free. And so we celebrate that king today. I want to let you know that you belong here. I don't care what your social identifying markers were, are. I don't care what you think of yourself. When you put faith in Jesus Christ, you belong here as a child of God. By placing faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, you are Abraham's offspring. Notice that Abraham's offspring's role is to be a blessing to all nations. That's what we're called to be. 
The inheritance we receive is the kingdom of God, eternally starting now. We are to be a blessing to all nations, even when that drives us into risk. This confronts our views of heaven as the place we escape to that's the easy life. Heaven becomes the place where God invites us to embrace Jesus as our king. Amen.